and it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. Glad you could join us. Today, three mountain ranges found in John 1, Hebrews 1, and of course our continuation of Colossians 1, presenting the Lord Jesus Christ in clarity. And now, Pastor Robert Elliott. Of course, all of the Bible is Christ-centered, but there are certain exceptional mountains, ranges of mountains that present the Lord Jesus Christ very profoundly in very beautiful, clear ways. There are three such mountains in the New Testament. Mountain one would be John chapter one. The word became flesh. Mountain number two would be Hebrews chapter one. He is the radiance of his glory. Mountain number three would be what's before us this morning, Colossians chapter one. All things have been created by him and for him. Maybe you could remember these three passages in that they're all chapter ones. John, Hebrews, Colossians, Chapter 1. Of course, we have begun to work our way through the book of Colossians, verse by verse. And the next paragraph before us this morning is paragraph 15 through verse 23. But it's such a wonderful, magnificent mountain that we can't cover all of its 12 truths about the Lord and Savior of the church, Jesus Christ, in one sermon. So we're just going to look at six of the 12 truths about our exalted Christ today. And then the Lord willing, we'll look at the other six truths about our exalted Christ next Sunday. I want to read all of the paragraph for you. Drink it in. Let it wash over you. May it not be business as usual as I read this passage. He, Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven, and although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. If indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. 
In these magnificent verses, we see 12 things about our exalted Christ. Quickly, number one, Christ is God's visible image. Number two, Christ is the firstborn of creation. Three, Christ is the start of everything. Four, Christ is the owner of everything. Five, Christ is eternal. Six, Christ is the sustainer of creation. Seven, Christ is the CEO of the church. Eight, Christ is the prototype of bodily resurrection. Nine, Christ is the ultimate authority. Ten, Christ is the fullness of the Father. Eleven, Christ is the peacemaker for us sinners. And twelve, Christ is the certainty of our glorification. Now, as I mentioned, we're only going to look at the first six. So first, let's get started. First, Christ is God's visible image. See that in the first half of verse 15. He, Christ, is the image of the invisible God. Of course, God is spirit. And those who would worship him, we worship him in spirit and in truth. God the Father is spirit. He is invisible. But God became visible when the incarnation took place. The first Christmas when the miracle of the hypostatic union, the miracle of a virgin woman giving birth to a human baby who was more than human, he was 100% God and 100% man fused in a miraculous way. And that union of divinity and humanity in Jesus Christ was for the express purpose of making an invisible God visible for the express purpose of an incarnate God being able to live in a body that could die and suffer and shed blood. Miracle. 15a. He is the image of the invisible God. The image word here in English comes from the Greek word in the text, icon. It means the likeness of God. It means the representation of God. It means the manifestation of God. We get our English word icon from this. We might say that Jesus Christ is the laser quality photocopy of God the Father. Jesus Christ is the exact photocopy of God the Father because Jesus Christ is God. 15a, he is the image of the invisible God. Maybe you could take an action point from this, that every time you see a photocopier or every time you see a photocopied page, that you could think that Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. He's the exact photocopy of his father. One of the ways that the Bible describes spiritual maturity in Galatians 4.19, is that Christ is being formed in you. My prayer for each of you is that Christ is being formed in you. My prayer for myself is that Christ is being formed in me. And when Christ is formed in you, you will resemble God. Do you? Secondly, Christ is the firstborn of 
creation. Second part of verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. This doesn't mean that Jesus was created. Jesus is the creator. Firstborn in the Greek here, the word can mean chronologically firstborn, but more usually it means first in rank, supreme. This is saying that Jesus Christ, because he is the creator, he is the first in rank of his creation. Nothing that Jesus Christ created is more supreme than him as the creator. He's the prototakos in Greek, the firstborn of all creation. Prototakos sounds like prototype, does it not? Jesus Christ is the prototype of creation. We learn from God's word that the original or the first Adam was the federal head of all humans born after he and Eve. And the federal head of Adam was a first Adam that led us into a train of sinning. Jesus Christ is the second Adam. He is the prototype of all creation. First in rank when it comes to leading us into redemption, leading us into being salvaged from the rock pile of sinfulness. Hold your place in Colossians and please turn with me to Romans 5. Jesus Christ is the prototokos. He is the firstborn of all creation. He is the second Adam. And we're going to look at Romans 5, starting at verse 12. Note the difference between the first Adam and the second Adam Christ. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if the transgression of the one made many die, Much more did the grace of God and the gift of God by grace, the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for on the one hand the judgment arose from the transgression, resulting in condemnation, but on the other hand the free gift arose from many transgressions, resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one sin reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in the life through the one Jesus Christ. It's saying there's a first Adam who got us into a whale of trouble. And there's a second Adam, a prototokos, Jesus, who can get us out of that whale of trouble by redeeming us, paying for our sins. Jesus Christ is the firstborn of creation. Spiritual maturity is Christ being formed in you, Galatians 4.19. And when Christ is formed in you, you put Christ first over Adam over your sin nature. When you 
see Christ being formed in you. You put Christ first, and then Christ sets you free from Adam's tendencies to rebel against God. And so I ask you, do you put Jesus Christ first? Has Christ obviously set you free from what your sin nature would want you to do? Number three, Christ is the start of everything. First part of verse 16, see it. For by him all things were created. By him, Jesus, all things were created. God is a trinity, a triunity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. These, as one, created the universe and all that is in it, except sin. And in Genesis 1, 26 to 27, the Hebrew here is a, a plurality of majesty when it summarizes creation with these words, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth and God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. 16a, for by him all things were created, both in heaven, the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible. We'll stop there. And so Christ is the start of everything. And by now you see after every point about the exalted Christ, I'm saying take us back to Galatians 4.19, which says part of spiritual maturity, a way to understand spiritual maturity is Christ being formed in you. And now, today's ministry spotlight. I'm very pleased this morning to have in the studio with me uh, Pastor Wenley Fowler. He is one of the assistant directors of education in the Ministry of Education. Uh, welcome, brother, to the studio. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be with you. We have the joy of calling you affectionately our master teacher at Calvary Bible Church, which means that you have the ability and the opportunity to train as many of our teachers here in the church as you can, and we're happy about that. So thank you very much for that ministry. Welcome. Let me start maybe at the beginning. When we think about education, and we think about education inside a local church, but also in education outside of a local church, I'm wondering uh, your thoughts on the claim that the Bahamas as a Christian nation? That, that's always an intriguing thought or even statement for me. I, I guess in one level, if you look at basically the, I guess, supreme governing document in terms of our constitution, it does re uh, use the term Christian um, in terms of us following some Christian principles. And from that perspective, I guess you can say you're a Christian nation. But in terms of practice, I don't think we are in terms of practice on the ground. At least those principles are not lived out on the ground. Right, and so much of uh, being a Christ follower is not verbiage, it's actual choices and living, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yes. We're pleased as a church to have a consistent across-the-board uh, textbook when it comes to Christian education, and I was wondering, uh, Pastor, if you could help us know what that is. Well, the, the textbook is, in fact, the Bible. 
um, anything else is secondary or thirdary, <laughs> but the Bible is the core textbook. Yes. Yes, and and because we believe, as as uh, you well do, that uh, it's God's word, it's inspired, um, it's without error in the original um, languages, and it's a living book. It's a book that changes us uh, wherever we are at whatever stage in our lives. And actually, one of the evidences of truly being God's child and being born again is you love the Bible, and you can't really get too much of it. So now when it comes to the Bible being our textbook, uh, what would be the general approach across the board to looking into the Bible? Well, I think, you, as you indicated, first thing is to look at it. What do you see to observe? What does the text actually say? Now, once you've gotten past that, the second step would be, now, what does this mean? Because you can read something, now, but if you don't understand it or don't interpret it correctly, you may not get the benefit. And the third step would certainly be, now that I understood what it meant, I need to apply this to my life. And so basically those three steps. You, you first have to observe, you have to interpret, and then apply. That's so great, and that's so helpful because we can get lost in the weeds at the bottom of the sea if we don't, we don't have the, a clear and defined approach. Can you think of an individual who uh, has really been positively impacted by the teaching of the Bible through the Christian education ministries of Calvary Bible Church? Well, there are several on several levels from actual students, and again, my deference to students, and persons who were students at some point, and then um, because they believe that God has gifted them with the gift of teaching, and now they are teaching, and I've had the, uh, I guess, wonderful privilege of having an opportunity to mentor or to teach or have some courses with these individuals, basically using some of the skills that I would have picked up over the years. Um, We don't have to go very fast. As a matter of fact, there is one Nathan Sawyer who was in my Sunday school class, who I I was always um, encouraged by this level of questioning, because it didn't only challenge the um, other students in the class. Um, but also it kept me on my feet, as it were, so that, hey, I cannot take this for granted. But also now that he, and he's serving and, and, again, mentoring, particularly some of our young men. So uh, that is a classic example. So what it really happens to be on the other side of the glass in the recording studio. Wow. That's just great. Um, what are your thoughts on a parent's responsibility to uh, Christian educate a child, presumably the parent is a Christian, is that the per- parent's responsibility or oh, the church's? I, I think to begin with, it, it, first it should be the parent, that the parent is always the first teacher. Um, unfortunately, where that does not exist, where the parent himself needs to be taught, or certainly uh, do not have the, the basics in terms of the truth about Scripture to begin with, then the church certainly must take that, that role. And uh, where it is the fact that the parent is uh, actually doing an excellent job, then the church comes along to complement that. And so together they, we all go towards Christ-like maturity together. That sounds great. Now this may be um, a little different question, but if a child or children were to be dropped off at our church campus on a Sunday morning a little before 9.30 when our Sunday school starts, and the parents were to just speak to the first adult they saw with the church and said, could you look after my children this morning and help teach them the Bible? What would happen? Well, we would certainly welcome the child. You know, we certainly will turn away no child. But the ideal thing would be really would be 
why don't you come along stay? You know, we, we have something for you as well. You know, that is exactly what should happen. That's the ideal. That's excellent. Well, um, we just want to thank you as uh, church leadership for your um, faithful and loving uh, leadership you're providing to the Christian education ministries of our local church. It is certainly, again, my pleasure. Uh, God has been so good to me personally and uh, have entrusted me with this, I call it a gift, and also a great responsibility because I, I say it's a task that involves the mind of an individual. And if you, as you think, so is he, as the Bible says in, in one context. But um, it is a wonderful privilege to just to see the beauty of God's creation as it is displayed by how people react to situations. Uh, they're learning the whole process is intriguing to me. How does learning take place? And um, I have the privilege to walk people through that process and at the same time constantly learning myself, a never-ending adventure. Wonderful. Well, I just love to pray for the Christian Education Ministries of Calvary Bible Church here with the listeners and with you, my brother. Yes. Lord, thank you so much that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, no matter how old we are. Thank you that it is truth. Thank you that it is authority. Thank you that it is uh, nourishment to our spirit and soul. And we just pray for each Calvary Bible Church teacher and helper that they would find uh, great satisfaction in serving you by bringing to bear the wonderful truth of the Bible to real people's lives. Lord, may a whole new generation of believers in Jesus Christ be raised up through the Christian education ministries here to your honor and to your glory. We do ask this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, dear brother. And now, Help for the Hurting, with the director of the Christian Counseling Center, Pastor Frederick Arnett. Good morning, and thank you again for having us in your homes this morning. Again, in the studio with me is Deborah Arnett, and uh, uh, we were talking about the way we should respond to our children last time. And one of the things that I mentioned was there are those who feel that unless we raise our voices, shout or scream, our children refuse to do what we say. So it seemed to me that they are waiting for us to scream before they move because that is what they used to walk. Oh, how do you see it? Well, as I mentioned last time, and I'll just quickly review, um, the shouting, the screaming, the ranting, the raging, it actually taps into their emotional brain. And so it produces an emotional reflex, which some people may be familiar with, and we refer to as flight, fight, freeze response. Right. So the child is responding from fear, not out of respect, not out of honor, not out of this recognition that, oh, wait, you're right. It suddenly occurred. You're right. Let me do this. But rather out of fear. And you don't want that type of relationship because fear is not an effective way to motivate people. And research has shown that. It's ineffective if you want to motivate people to do something. However, one of the things that I think is very important and very efficacious if you want to promote a healthy relationship with your child where you don't have to scream and rant and yell to get a response is important to foster discipline. And discipline does not start at the age of 12. Discipline starts when they're that 
toddler who refuses to go to bed at nine o'clock at night and they want to sit up with you and you have decided that you want them to have a bedtime of eight o'clock. Mm-hmm. Well, you can either place that child in the bed and lovingly inform them that they need to stay there or you can permit them to stay up for as long as they feel like staying up and roam about for as long as they feel like roaming about and let them have their own way. The importance of fostering discipline is that you teach your children boundaries and boundaries need to be taught. Mm -hmm. That is important for all aspects of life. That enables them to go to school and stay in their seats. Mm -hmm. That enables them to go to the environment and you can say to them, when you're at aunt so-and-so's house, please do not touch these things or do not do these things or listen to her authority. If you don't teach your children boundaries, if you don't teach them to honor your authority, they will not honor other authorities Mm -hmm. in other spaces and spares and they won't honor other boundaries that are put in place. Um, And it's also an effective way to teach them that if they're faithful in the little things, you can ultimately begin to trust them with greater responsibilities. But it starts from when they're a tender age. You don't wait until they're five, six and can talk back to you and have a conversation about it. And you have to also understand as an adult dealing with a toddler, your authority is not a laughing matter. And one of the mistakes that I think a lot of parents make is that when they're toddler responds in a very cute and seemingly funny way, they laugh. Right. And then they just don't follow through with the discipline. Right. Well, that sends a message to the child. Oh, this is how I get out of it. Right. And what the parent notices over time is that the child will persist in these behaviors of trying to be the comedian or trying to do something funny to distract and avoid the disciplinary action. And when I speak to discipline, I'm not talking about physical punishment. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about providing guidance and structure and boundaries for the child so that he or she can function well mm-hmm. in life, in relationships, and in different settings, whether you are present or not. Mm-hmm. To speak particularly to Christians on this issue, when you teach your children how to develop boundaries, how to have discipline in their life, you're also teaching them important lessons about how to walk in obedience with God. Right. Because There are times where God instructs individuals in their personal relationships with him to do things, and he does not sit down and provide a lengthy explanation as to why he wants them to do it. So if you build a relationship with your child where you can communicate to them, there are times mom and dad are going to tell you to do things, and I do not have the time to explain why. They will learn how to honor God in a similar way. So if the child is in the middle of the road, a car is coming, and you say, get out the road, this is not a time for a debate. Right. So... If you have a healthy relationship with them where you've taught them boundaries, where you've taught them discipline, they're going to respond and they're going to trust you Mm -hmm. and they're going to obey you. But if you, again, are not engaging in a lifestyle of integrity, if you are showing them that they can debate things with you and that there aren't specific times where they do need to just move and act in response to instructions you give them, then they're going to take the same approach with God and with others and other forms of authority. And remember, as I said last time, it's a little idiotic to think that you can tell your child to do as you say and not as you do, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because they will ultimately model your behavior. Thank you very much, Deborah, and uh, we will pick up from here next time in the will of the Lord. God bless you. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 a.m. in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a Savior.